things we're dealing with are threats to humanity unlike anything the world has ever seen before. We can bequeath our children a greener planet and a more prosperous future. That's what climate change is about. It is literally not figuratively a clear and present danger. If unprecedented changes are not made and made soon, there will be irreversible damage to the planet. Zero carbon. East tall. Hello and welcome to Zero Carbon Easter Series 5, Just Stop the Tories. I'm Ian Collins and this is the UK's number one environment-based podcast. If it's green, it is in. And it's possible, Dale, that one person could be listening to this from a prison cell because Greta <laughs> got herself arrested. Brackets, like she gives a shit. Close yeah. brackets. Yeah. Bless her. Yes, I saw that. And she was outside an oil company conference, I believe. I did a little bit of radio about it. Can't remember with who now, uh, but who cares, right? Uh, because basically they said, you've turned your back on... Pro- oh, it was the Daily Mail, my friends. You've turned your back on protest. Uh, so what do you think about this? And I yeah. said, well, you know, to be to be fair, to be accurate, I haven't. I haven't walked away from protest. I've just said that the type of protest that Just Up Oil do this uber disruptive stuff is not helpful anymore but i still support the you know the democratic right to protest and people that do protest like outside an oil company conference right they as a purpose but i hear the cops were a bit rough yeah and i watched the video of being arrested and that was all fine she had this serene look on her face she was always looking to the same camera i don't know if it's part of her film crew it's very interesting but uh, it seems like a very polished act but you know she's got a very serene very calm look and i don't know what really went on but the daily mail tell me that the energy companies oil companies in the room were all very upbeat about oil and they're all walking away from their commitments to transition to green energy and that's partly because the price of oil has spiked because of what's happening in uh, the middle east and you can kind of understand that so i was a bit like well you know yeah what's interesting i thought about this is the the meeting was the organization called the Energy Intelligence Forum. <laughs> so there's that. So this is the great greenwashing titles of our time. The Energy Intelligence Forum. Apparently, it used to be called the Oil and Money Forum, which was far more honest, frankly. <laughs> yes. Yes, I love it. There are so many fake names about, aren't there? Like, Indeed. Uh, so many fake just names. Few. Yeah, just a just few. Just a few. Uh, so she, she's got herself in a pair of cuffs. I think she's out, by the way, yeah. and as safe as houses. Safe yeah. as houses. Um, here's a disturbing story. The drought is turning the Amazon into a climate dystopia where water levels at port hits the lowest point for 121 years. That's the kind of headline you might imagine would be on the front pages of every newspaper. You've got to really delve deep to find it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I found it on The Guardian. And I'd say when you first said this to me, just, just before we started Amazon and dystopia, I was thinking, oh, workers dystopia, that's Amazon, right? Right, that's already happening. But no, it's the capital of the Amazon, and I never knew it's, it is a port. Like I've seen the pictures from above, and there are all these like rows of houses, and each one has a boat beside it. It's just, you know, it's a strange kind of town, but it's 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 suffering because of the drought, which is kind of ironic in it. You know, all eyes and fingers have been wagging at the uh, at the Amazon and at Brazil for a long time because of deforestation and how that's driving the climate crisis. Blah blah blah. You know, and here's the Amazon hit you know, smack in the face with the impact of the climate crisis. Yes, right? Absolutely. 
It's funny because I saw another headline. A lot of this stuff we we seem to get almost on a weekly basis. Antarctica has lost 7.5 tons of ice since 1997. Again, you know, tell us something we didn't know, but yeah. we do. That's a, a recurring theme, right? Yeah, right. Uh, that was trillions of tons, by the way, which makes it rather more significant. Sorry, but... sorry, it's trillions of tons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's like 7.5 tons would be a lot, but nothing compared <laughs> on your to head, right? 7.5 trillion. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't want it to land on you while you slept. <laughs> no, but you're right. It's another one of them stories that I, I rolled slightly just because we keep getting stories about record ice loss in Antarctica and all that kind of stuff. You know, we're a little bit used to it. We shouldn't get comfortable with it, but it keeps happening. Yeah, indeed. Stockholm introducing a petrol and diesel car ban in its city centers to slash emissions. This seems to be a far more honest way of, of doing things. And I think Birmingham's low emission zone is similar to this, or certainly they've, they've got a, an emission cap on certain vehicles rather than the one in London, which you can pay if you want. Whereas this Stockholm idea actually is a complete ban. Yeah. And pay if you can as well, of course, which is some people's objection. It allows, you know, relatively well-off people to just carry on as usual. Whereas, uh, you know, less well-off people might be struggling to do the same thing. I understand that. London, of course, is a major city. I mean, it's big, isn't it? Is it 6 million people? I know seven. Yeah, I it's think it's a bit near, it might be eight now. Whoa. And Stockholm, of course, is probably oh, 10% of that. I don't know. I'm going to yeah. guess now. So I would say it's probably easier to do there and maybe attitudes in True. Sweden are better as well, you know. And I think LEZs and ULEZs, you know, they're all steps along the same path to the ultimate ban, I reckon, that's coming. And, of course, there is a ban in the in the buying of new petrol and diesel cars coming as well. It's been pushed back five years, but actually – the manufacturers won't be making them after 2030, so it'll be a de facto ban. But it has to, it has to happen right. We've been poisoning the air that people breathe just because of our own personal mobility choice and desire. And that's been allowed by governments. And, and you know, we're, we're, we're causing real harm to, to people's lives. And, and it never made sense to me. At least we've woke up to it. We can see that air quality is a, is a big issue and we're trying to do yeah. something about it. And, of course, there's a kickback from people like, you know, oh, we want the freedom to pollute. You know, it's like gun rights in America or something, you know. But there is no First Amendment here that says you have the right to do are you hopeful that Labour, if, if they get in, it looks as if they will be the next government, that they will reintroduce the 2030 ban? Yeah, well, listen, I actually don't care because the motor industry have already set themselves on that path. I don't think they're paying a lot of attention to what yeah. Sunak did. It was a bit of presentation. I mean, the, the curious thing, the deeper you get into the stats, the more bizarre it is, you know, because Sunak is saying he still expects 80% of new sales to be electric by 2030 anyway. Sure. And it's only 20% of all sales that are actually new cars and so he's pushing back by five years i've got to do my maths here he's, he's pushing back four percent of sales of petrol and diesel cars it's a big what yeah and it's messed up the car industry of course ah, no they, they complained they complained but i don't think it, it will change their plans because they set them in train many years ago and spent That's billions true. on it you know so i think yeah. really it was a bit of something and nothing it was a bit of showmanship from uh sunak he was trying to like you know excite his base i don't know where both of those were at the time he made the announcement. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's all something and nothing. Yeah, I think so. Here's a question from Manchego, who says, uh, if the UK switched to providing 100% renewable energy, how much would the average monthly household bill cost? Well, it's an interesting question. Uh, one of the tricky things is that uh, our current mix, which includes nearly 50% renewable energy, is comprised of stuff that was built quite a while ago at prices that 
existed back then. So if you look at renewable energy today, I quite often go out on right ring radio and say, look, we can build it without subsidy. And they say, oh, okay, we can take all the subsidies away then, can we? And I'm like, well, those things built 10 years ago, for example, were built at a certain price with certain support, which is not a subsidy. There's no money from the government, by the way. Uh, but we can't just undo that for them. They've made that investment when they bought that kit at that price. But if you buy the kit today, it's so much cheaper. But let's yep. say, to cut to the numbers, we can make electricity for five pence a unit wholesale. Now, I reckon that's half of the current market wholesale price. But our current market prices comprise of all kinds of rubbish. You know, I'm just going to take a stab here and say 500 quid. There you go. Uh, Tom says, if Starmer becomes prime minister, do you think he'll be more lenient on climate protesters than how the Tories have treated them? Now, I'm intrigued by that question because if you talk to to Tory uh, supporters, they they believe that the Conservative Party have done nothing to deal with climate protesters even i mean they have some no. some have gone to jail you mentioned the dark was it the dark seven, crossing yeah the t- tunnel i think it was seven the, years so yeah seven years for that i mean which is extraordinary i mean you really don't always get that for murder quite genuinely but there are others that say well you know where are the police when people are blocking the m25 where are the police when you know parliament square is uh, completely barricaded so there's a there is a kind of counter view that the tories are secretly okay with the protesters Oh, really? That, well, well, I, yeah, I mean, I hear that view. Right. Whether, I don't know whether that's borne out in the stats, but will Labour be more lenient is the question that Tom poses. Yeah, I'm going to get right to that. I, I reckon, do you know what's happening? The Tories are being really tough on protesters because that's part of the public-facing thing, right? You know, look, look at the Home Secretary. Oh, my God. You know, the, the, the bile spew towards immigrants, for example, and, and that kind of stuff, weaponizing it as an issue. Protesters have become part of that, and so I think being tough on them, they like to do. But I think you're right that right now they like to... To see more protests and more disruption because it plays to this new culture war narrative of uh, you know loony greenies uh, trying yeah. to hold the country to ransom or something like that. I don't know. Answer is though. Answer to the question is I don't think there will be any climate protesters after Labour get in power. But there is a view that actually Labour will tinker with what the Tories are doing, but won't make seismic changes. What's your take on that, Dale? I don't agree. I don't accept it. I think that's completely wrong. I think we can see that Labour is serious about the green economy. They get it. We can see the Tories are serious about the opposite, undermining it, rubbishing it, and and drilling for more fossil fuels wherever they think they can find them. I think the difference will be stark. And I think people won't feel the need to protest, certainly not in the disruptive way that Just Up Oil had, because this has been a really desperate issue, the most stupid thing any government could be doing right now, particularly in developed countries, you know, drilling for more oil. Uh, I don't think we'll be facing that. There'll always be people that say you should have done more, could go further. But I think we'll see big progress. Here's a question from Rob who says, Dale, I want to get involved with and learn more about green energy. What is the best way to volunteer and learn more about this? Go to school, maybe. <laughs> Go to school. Maybe Rob's like four and he wants to. <laughs> I, I want to say I honestly don't know how to go about it. When I wanted to get into renewable energy, I spent my time uh, going to events. There there weren't very many of them at the time. Just reading any information I could find, there was no internet at the time either. Blimey, how long ago was that? Uh, But it really is just find all the information you can, you know, um, learn what you can and and find a chance somewhere. Honestly, I have no idea. I would have thought that bearing in mind how many, I mean, we obviously hear about, you know, organizations that are out there protesting, whether they are Greenpeace, the Green Party, Just Stop, or whoever they happen to be, XR. There's never been more of those organizations than there are today. And I would suggest that to get involved with them would be often a case of just dropping a little email to the 
mm. the, the various it could work organizations that you feel that you've got a, a it, connection to it could absolutely work and i think uh, you know come the come the election if labor win then i think there'll be a shit ton of green jobs out there to uh, you know have a crack at Here's an interesting one as well. Colombia and Mali are leading efforts to improve air quality. Now, this is a new ranking uh, by the Global Climate and Health Alliance. I think I got that right. Revealing that low and middle income countries are leading efforts to improve air quality as part of their national climate plans. Uh, And Colombia and Mali are ranking the highest. Now, if you said to somebody in the street, which countries are doing most, most people wouldn't come up with Colombia and Mali. I think they'd say London. <laughs> indeed, yeah. Indeed. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's a misperception. It's very interesting. It says in, in the report that countries in the global south are simply more ambitious in tackling air pollution than um, the G20 nations, right, uh, yeah. who are less committed, which is kind of not what you expect to hear, isn't it? We expect them right. developing countries to be more kind of aggressive in their development, burn more fossil fuels, care less because they're trying to get up the development ladder. It's not looking like that. Oh, and by the way, the United Arab Emirates, which is hosting COP28, are among the worst performers. Isn't that interesting? I mean, we, it's no surprise that they are among the worst performers, given you know what they, they do <laughs> on living, a daily yeah. basis, which is essentially the, the places painted with oil. I mean, oil is just everywhere. It's like children washing the stuff. They have baths and showers in oil out there. So I, I'm not surprised to hear that. But what is still like a little galling stroke gobsmacking is the fact that they're hosting cop 28 i mean you might wouldn't the cop people just go sorry uae but you you ain't coming in here you're not even welcome to the pot it's just another one of those completely contrasting decisions and like you say that they're, they're bad performers for air quality they're, they're vested in fossil fuels like you wouldn't know and yet we gave them the gig to host cop 28 and and the people yeah. that did that i mean the un were like oh no it's fine you know they they make the perfect choice to host cop 28 because they're one of the bad guys okay we all understand that now then don't we Talking of bad guys, Seven Bin Sunak, I have a story about him. It's not a place in Kent, by the way. Seven Bin Sunak is the man in number 10. And look, I said a while ago on social media that Sunak and his family, they're on state benefits, right? Not, not the kind that we're, we're used to, the kind that they love to cut. But this was back when uh, we learned that just days before he announced the North Sea was open for drilling, that his family had signed a £1.5 billion contract with BP aka a major oil company interested in North Sea, right? That looked all kinds of wrong. There's some benefits there from the state to his family. Just now, news breaks of, I think, a £2 million investment by the state in four companies owned by Seven Bin Sunak's wife. I mean, what's going on with that? Some kind of startup fund to get, you know, to get small companies running. And this billionaireess who's married to Sunak has just had a couple of million quid of public money shoveled into her bank account. Ailed. Dale, they have two kids. They've got to feed the family. What's wrong with you? And seven bins. Come on, two kids, seven bins. You know, they need a holiday like anyone else. Seven bins Sunak is in need sometimes. The hat has to go around. The depravity. They rattle the two. The depravity. I mean, is that – look, I'm just going to try and put my my Daily Telegraph (laughs) hat on if I can. She was a non-dub. She wasn't paying tax here until very recently. I'm sorry, I'm beside myself. Carry on. No, no. Well, I'm going to put the Daily Telegraph hat on, and I'm going to say, all right, well, this is what the Telegraph would say uh, yep. if they were writing back to you, if you'd written a letter to this effect, saying, uh, "They'd say, sorry, sorry, we're for sale at the moment. We can't comment." <laughs> Dear Dale Vince, firstly, uh, we don't like you calling him Seven Bin Sunak. They'd say that yeah, firstly, yeah. very juvenile. Those. <laughs> uh, 
But uh, there is no connection here. His wife just happens to work in an industry where they invest all over the show, and they've done forever investments in this area. This is nothing new. It's just being correlated to make it sound worse. Mm. And you would mm. say, off. <laughs> I would say, I would say, billionaires recently a non-dom until exposed and, and embarrassed uh, into a into a U-turn on that. You know, receives two million in public funds for you know a bunch of startup companies. I mean, WTF is going on? Sunak think that's okay. His family, you know, just just made billions from uh, from his North Sea decision. I mean, it's just all kinds of wrong. The corruption of these conservative, this conservative government, not all conservatives, this conservative government. I mean, it knows no bounds. Here's a question from Craig, something we've touched on very recently. Exciting stuff, Dale. Is there a way people like myself can get involved or help you with Just Vote 24? This is a new campaign. Just explain what it is for those who are listening for the first time, Dale. Oh, yes, yeah, a new campaign. It came off the back of my decision not to fund more protests by Just Stop Oil because it was counterproductive, helping the Tories, that kind of stuff. And what I realized was that 18 to 24-year-olds are least likely to vote. The government have made it hardest for them to vote of any group in our country, and they've got the most skin in the game because the climate crisis will define their lifetimes. And so the new campaign is focused on them, persuading them actually that it's essential they vote, that they can change the direction of this country. Uh, and by the way, it's going to be super hard and we're going to help them uh, you know, navigate the obstacles that the Tories have put in their way because only 1% of 18 to 24-year-olds vote conservative. And so your bus pass, if you're 18 to 24, won't count as voter ID. If you're age 60, where most people vote conservative, it will. Here's a question from Anthony who says, Dale, please push for PR. That voting system is truly democratic and will encourage the young and everyone to vote. Uh, the first past the post thing is a bit rubbish, but it's, it's argued that it's equally as unfair to everybody. <laughs> well, that's okay that everybody loses. Uh, listen, first past the post is shy. It gave us an 80 seat majority for a conservative party with 40% of the popular vote. I mean, you know, we, we can't, we can't live with that. I believe in PR. I think it would better represent the voices in our country. We wouldn't swing wildly around with, you know, with different governments left to right. You might call it. I don't know. If you look at examples of PR on the continent, it works really well. You get more balance. You get more long-term thinking, that kind of stuff. If Labour win the election, PR would be my next campaign. Final one from Neil. It says, Dale, I came across this company called Standard Gas, who is supposed to be building plants to turn mixed waste into biogas. I can't understand it. Does it make sense to you or do you smell a rat? <laughs> well, I think I want to say I smell methane, but it's actually technically odorless. Um, so you can <laughs> you, you, you can use a pedantic <laughs> point, but I take it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just pulling myself up, right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> you could use waste to, to make gas and stick it in the gasket or burn it to make electricity. I think these guys are probably burning it because that's cheaper and easier. Then you throw away half the energy. But the big problem with using waste to make any form of energy, whatever you do with it, is that it locks in waste itself. You know, our habit of creating waste gets contractually locked in for 20 years every time we build yeah. a waste to energy project. So I'm kind of against it. And a very final question from Bert, who says, uh, what do you think about the Conservative Environment Network? What is this fresh hell? I've never heard this. Tell <laughs> yeah. me more. Listen, it's been around a while, and I think there are some good people in it and some good intentions. And look, this gives me a chance to say, actually, I'm not anti-conservative. 
I'm anti this government, Sunak and all the other fools that have been in it for the last 13 years and the bad things they've done. I'm not anti-conservative. There's some very good conservatives that switched on uh, about the environment. And Labour have just started, not the party itself, but somebody has just started a Labour Party equivalent. And I think it's a great idea, you know, because uh, there would be people in both parties that are more switched on than others. And it's great to have a focal point and, and to disseminate information. There it is. Thorough stuff. Dale, we will speak in a week. Uh, I, can't, I can't wait. I can't wait. I've, I've got my little advent calendar going already. <laughs> Have you? Oh, what's, what's in your little windows when you open them up? I'll tell you who's in number one next week. <laughs> I think you can probably guess. Uh, we'll speak then, Dale. Have a good one. Awesome. See you. That's it for this episode. Don't forget, of course, to follow this podcast from your podcast provider so you get each new episode automatically. Leave a review there too. Really important. Follow Dale on social media, on Twitter, twitter.com slash dalevince, facebook.com slash dalevince, and on TikTok too. Zero carbon east off.